You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with uh, Imam Tuki Tanvir and myself, uh, Walid Ahmed. The time is uh, 3 minutes past 7. It's Friday, the 27th of January, 2023. A packed program once again on the breakfast show this morning. Uh, we have a range of different uh, topics that we will be exploring. Um, the breakfast show is very much an interactive show. It means that uh, our listeners have the facility to ring in if they want to uh, share their thoughts or views on any of the topics we may be discussing. The number to dial is 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet us at uh, Voice of Islam UK. As regards uh, the stories that we're going to be uh, covering uh, in the first half hour, we'll be looking at uh, what is being bandied around in the wider media also looking at the stories that are current in the activities of the Ambi Muslim community. Uh, and then uh, after that, we'll be looking at uh, two stories in greater detail. Uh, as uh, listeners familiar with the show would uh, recognize that uh, one, and a half, one and a half hours, or the best part of that, is devoted to two main stories. And this time, or the, today, we're going to be looking at, uh, in the first instance, uh, something, a story regarding dietary injunctions in Islam, in particular the prohibition of consuming the flesh of swine. Why pork is bad for you is the title of the subject. And we'll be exploring this uh, topic with uh, Professor Magic uh, Hanneberg, who is a professor of anthropological and comparative anatomy at the University of Adelaide. And uh, we'll also be sharing a couple of uh, clips uh, that are relevant to this topic uh, during that particular slot. That particular slot. If you're interested, make sure you're tuned in during that uh, uh, period, 7.30 to 8.15 is when we'll be covering that subject. Uh, so if you are interested, uh, make sure that you remain tuned in during that particular slot. Uh, moving on to the second main topic is something we picked up from one of the uh, one of the websites is for Human Fraternity is the name of the website uh, and uh, this particular topic topic is about um, well, the title is The Abrahamic Family House A Beacon of Mutual Understanding Harmonious Existence and Peace so that's the title of that particular topic and uh, we spoke to Alma Mati on this Alma hails originally from Albania and is currently uh, residing in uh, Canada as an educator. And uh, just like the previous topic, we'll be sharing a couple of clips as well that is relevant to this particular subject. So that's something that we have uh, in store uh, as far as the program is concerned this morning. There's clearly lots to do, lots to cover. And as always, we should have a full review of the Islamic angle to all we discuss from our leading Imam, Imam Toki Tarweer. And before I continue, let me just hand the microphone over to him uh, to say Salaam Alaikum and introduce the rest of the program. Wa Alaikum Salaam We hope that you know everyone's having a uh, good morning. Um, you know, just in terms of the weather, I uh, wanted to read that out. So this is from BBC Weather. Uh, the forecast for today will be 
uh, dry for most with sunny spells and uh, variable amounts of cloud and cloud will spread in over the northwest and far north however with spells of rain in northwest of scotland later on and the forecast for tonight is that it will they will uh, see clouds and some patchy rain move uh, southeast into northern ireland and southeast scotland reaching northern england near dawn um clear spells and variable cloud elsewhere so that's just the weather forecast uh but do you know keep yourself warm when you do go out as you know we're, we're still in that flu season mm. um so you know everyone should just uh be very mindful and uh, just sort of uh, really take care uh, when going out um yes. it's, it's got quite cold recently hasn't it yeah i mean uh, mm. uh last uh, last few days uh, I think it's gone a lot better but uh, mm-hmm. at the start of the week uh, you know waking up and uh, just uh, having frost <laughs> on yes. on your on your car oh, was, yes, I hate it that. was <laughs> it was very difficult yes <laughs> uh, i even bought like a dd ice spray uh, uh-huh. that that <laughs> that ran out does as well work? oh that ran out <laughs> yeah, does it, it work it it does work but uh, okay. you have to you have to leave it for a for for some time before mm. it actually uh, defrosts uh, all of the ice Uh, but but uh, i th- i think it's better than uh, just uh, sitting in the car and waiting <laughs> waiting <laughs> it's <for> warmer <laughs> it's, it's warmer <laughs> i always buy a, a scraper but uh, every time i want to use it i can't find it Uh, so I I don't I know. Have to so buy a new one every scrape, year. Scraper would that would take forever, wouldn't it? Not because uh, mm. I've often seen uh, people using a scraper and mm. they they they're doing it for a while. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It look it looks a lot longer when you're quite uh, quite cold. Um, but uh, if you can't find a scraper, then a credit card can you can do it. I've I've also seen uh, people just maybe get get kettle um, oh. uh, hot water and then just put it on the too long with it. <laughs> too long with going in, getting a kettle, pouring it. Uh, but uh, that that should be harmful for the for the mirror, right? Because so? if something's so cold, you just put really ah. hot water on it. Yeah, it um, shatter it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I never tried it. Just too uh, well. If I did, uh, it was when I was a lot younger. But I haven't done it recently good, at all. Good, a good. scraper, if I can find it. <laughs> if I can't, I'll buy a new one, and then uh, hopefully it will still remain where I want it uh, mm. the following year. But it seldom does mm. to buy one every year. And and how's your week been? Uh, very hectic. Okay. There's a lot going on, and as you know. Uh, there's a lot of work going on in uh, Bethlehem with uh, the uh, construction that Absolutely. is taking place, yeah, and yeah. we hope that the uh, opening is going to be soon. Mm. Um, so that's one big uh, preparation that uh, we are engaged in, and then there's also um, the big um, peace conference mm. that is taking place on the fourth of March, Absolutely. and um, that's one that. Um, Many people are looking forward to, especially since it wasn't held last year yeah. or the year before. So after that interruption, I uh, think that the last one we had was in two thousand and nineteen, uh, and I think you're probably right. Um, yes. Because uh, yes. in uh, in two thousand and early two thousand twenty, we had mm. the COVID yes. pandemic. So since two thousand and nineteen, mm. we haven't had mm. the peace symposium. Yeah, 
but there's something where you know we see various dignitaries, MPs, yes. um, and and very special guests from all over the world. Actually, mm. um, even missionaries do bring guests from their respective countries. Mm. Um, you know, I know that uh, the one of the missionaries in Greece, he certainly does come to uh-huh. the peace symposium as well. Tal Nasir, he's a class fellow. He's 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 much senior, but uh, uh-huh. I I usually would see him as well. He would uh-huh. bring. some dignitaries even from Greece so it is an event where it's not just uh, UK based but uh, very much an international uh, event and uh, obviously the highlight of the peace symposium is the address uh, that his holiness gives to mm. to mm. at at this occasion um, so yeah we're very um, in- interesting to uh eagerly eagerly waiting for that action right yes absolutely yes so we'll see what else happens any uh, any news as far as the amli muslim community that has caught your eye that you want to share yes so as we are uh you know mentioning his holiness um I, I wanted to mention some of his virtual meetings that he holds with the md of md muslim community around the world and uh one such uh meeting uh was on the 15th of january 2023 um the world head of the amdi muslim community the fifth caliph his holiness azam azam suram the held a virtual online meeting with the lajna and nasrat members of the waqfino scheme um so his holiness presided over the meeting from mta studios in islamabad to fudwalis the the members joined the meeting virtually from jakarta in indonesia Uh, following a formal session which began with the recitation of the holy quran uh, members from this scheme had the opportunity to ask his holiness a range of questions uh, regarding their faith and contemporary issues um, so just wanted to give a background as well on the waqfino scheme so this was a scheme which was initiated in 1987 by the fourth caliph of the amdi muslim kuti azam az tahir ahmed may allah have mercy on him and uh, the whole purpose uh, of the scheme uh, was that the parents they dedicate their unborn children to this scheme um, um so that in future when these uh, these shining uh, students when they have graduated from their studies once they have specialized in their field uh, then they serve within the community so this is the this the this is the uh, background behind the scheme so one of the attendees of uh, asked his holiness how a person can avoid making mistakes or bad choices to this his holiness he replied and i quote that allah the almighty says that w- whenever we are going to start anything we should seek his help pray to allah the almighty that he makes it easy for us and seek allah the almighty's help and his great guidance that it is for your good it is good for you then allah the almighty may make it easy for you and make it comfortable for you and satisfy your heart and if you are praying to allah the almighty then he will help you you will feel satisfaction in your heart and it will not end up badly so remember that we should always pray to allah the almighty and we should seek his help when we start something while we are doing it until the end of our life uh the allah then allah the almighty will help us and we, he will help us then the result is never bad also another student asked his holiness 
whether she would prioritize her education or giving time to volunteer for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, and His Holiness said, and I quote, that firstly you should complete your studies, get better education, then come forward for the help of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and serve it. Further on the weekends, uh, you should attend the Waqfatino class or the uh, Waqfatino Ishtama, the annual gatherings, um, whenever you are on holidays, and give some spare time to the work of the Amdi Muslim Kuti whenever is given to you by your president or in charge uh, of uh, of the Waqfino, but never at the cost of your studies. First, focus on your studies. Complete your studies, get better, better education, and then you'll be more beneficial and useful asset for the Amdiya Muslim community. So, a lot of the Waqfat, uh, you know, a lot of um, members of the scheme who have, uh, you know, who are studying, they a lot often they they would ask that um, when can we serve the time? When is the best time to serve the community? So the answer is Oliness here. He's given that well. You should complete your studies first. You should complete what you're specializing in, and then uh, you should then serve the community. Apart from that, His Holiness has also said that you can voluntarily serve within the community on your weekends or whenever you get time. Um, but in terms of uh, when is the best time to maybe write to His Holiness that you are ready to serve, then His Holiness here, the answer he's given is that once you have completed your studies and apart from that his holiness also mentions that uh, um, once you have specialized also then also work within that field for one or two years and then usually his, his holiness says that right to right to him so uh, yeah that's that was just the virtual sitting his holiness had with the with the um as i mentioned with the lajna and nasrat members of the Wakfino scheme from indonesia and you can actually watch uh, snippets of this particular virtual meeting as well on MTA News. Um, they have also uploaded it as well. But uh, uh, do stay tuned as well as uh, on a weekly basis they do have um, you know, new content available in terms of the meeting His Holiness has with the Amdiya Muslim community around the world. So uh, just mm. wanted to mention Excellent. that. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. On to other news that is circulating. Uh, one uh, piece of news um, that um, my attention was drawn to is from my son, who's a who's a football fanatic. Too too interested in football for my liking, anyway. But uh, he um, uh, drew my attention to this story about um, Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane. Those who are familiar with football would know is a used to be a Liverpool winger. Now he's gone to Bayern Munich, and um, what uh, intrigued him was that uh, there was this story in uh, one of the uh, big newspapers about the fact that um, he has not forgotten his roots. Uh, he hails from a small Senegalese village called Bambali, and um, it's a place that he returns uh, regularly to. And he doesn't do so empty-handed, but uh, he does uh, go there and uh, bears a lot of gifts, so to speak. He's funded a £455,000 hospital there, and that serves 34 other villages, a school uh, of uh, 
that cost a quarter of a million, a post office and a petrol station. Uh, the village currently has a population of 2,000, and uh, Mane goes, uh, gives each family in the village 70 euros a month uh, in uh, respect of a sport package uh, of grants and 400 euros to the best achieving student at Bambali High. Uh, the footballer has uh, provided laptops to the school, free sportswear to the youngsters, and has had 4G in internet installed. Uh, last year, he uh, signed for his new German club for a reportedly uh, uh, 35.1 million signing fee. Now, I don't know how much of that he actually got, but uh, these are ridiculous sums of monies that some footballers are earning. And uh, it's heartening to learn that because uh, that uh, some are putting it to good use, like uh, Mr. Mane is, uh, because these hugely, obscenely, ridiculously high earnings of sports stars, uh, uh, it, it makes you wonder as to what they can possibly do with so much money, even if they spend all of it uh, for the most luxurious foods and uh, clothes, they will not be able to usefully uh, get rid of it all. So it reminds me of uh, that uh, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where he advised that the only wealth that an individual can truly call his own is that which he spends on himself or herself and that which he spends in charity. And the rest is uh, money that belongs to his, to the inheritors. Uh, money is spending in this way, in the way that he does, uh, must surely bore him well in the hereafter and sets an example to others wallowing uh, obscene, uh, you know, in obscenely or ridiculously high amounts of wealth. Um, so it's a lesson to others as to how they can purpose, purposefully gain from it by spending it on others. Um, and uh, where uh, he is uh, spending it also shows that he hasn't forgotten his roots and given benefit to where he originated from. And there's a deeper, more subtler lesson here as well, not to forget, forget your roots, not to forget your origins, not to forget your parents, not to forget uh, the originator of your life, God Almighty, in uh, whatever you whatever you do. Um, another story that was related uh, to this in one sense is about uh, millions that uh, sportsmen are able to earn. One uh, sportsman that certainly earned a lot was uh, Usain Bolt, but uh, his uh, story is a bit um, depressing because it appears that he has become the target of scammers and lost $12.7 million. Uh, his lawyers say that uh, he now only has $12,000 in the bank. So after all that he's earned, that's what his lawyers are saying, that this is all that he has left. The rest has been actually usurped by, um, by unscrupulous uh, investors. Um, the uh, fraud he was subjected to uh, lasted 13 years and also trapped uh, elderly clients and <laughs> government agencies as well. The uh, fraud was perpetrated by a Jamaican firm and uh, this has caused great concern to the nation's uh, finance minister, Nigel Clark. Uh, I've got a quote from him. He said, uh, 
The anger and unease we all feel have been magnified by the long duration, 13 years over which the fraud was allegedly perpetrated, and the fact that the uh, suspects seemed to have deliberately and heartlessly targeted elderly persons, as well as our much-loved and respected national icon, Usain Bolt. Uh, the finger is being pointed at Kingston-based Stocks and uh, Securities Limited, who allegedly gave false statements regarding their um, clients' balances. The victims included government agencies such as the National Health Fund, Jamaica's Agricultural Society, and uh, the National Housing Trust. Uh, just goes to show that you can't take all those millions with you, and if you don't take it, if you don't put it to good use, others may take it from you. So it's a salutary lesson for those who are wallowing a lot of uh, cash. Um, other stories? Well, um, there is this story that uh, has very much dominated our uh, uh, political uh, pages uh, in the newspapers and uh, also news on our TV screens. And this is uh, uh, the woes of the uh, Christian, of the Conservative Party chairman, Nazim Zahavi. He is alleged to have got his personal tax affairs in a twist to such an extent that HMRC imposed a million-pound penalty which he had to pay. Uh, the Prime Minister has pledged to get to the bottom of any impropriety being committed by uh, Mr. Zahavi uh, and appointed his standards commissioner to investigate. Uh, this has not pacified the furore among the opposition who called the uh, Prime Minister hopelessly weak and ineffective. Uh, those are the words used by the opposition leader, Keir Starmer. I think it was in, in Prime Minister Questions that he uh, issued that rebuke. Uh, the Prime Minister's press secretary said, I don't think any of us can predict what may come up, but I think he's confident now he's put the right process in place and the independent advisor is looking into it. So this is the uh, Prime Minister's press secretary and defending the action that the Prime Minister has uh, taken in uh, getting the uh, Standards Commissioner to investigate before any uh, action is taken against Mr. Zahavi. Despite the measures being taken, support for the uh, Conservative Chairman appears to be dwindling, with few Conservatives coming out and giving him outright support. Uh, Mr. Zahavi has proved himself to be a capable MP and uh, credited with the very difficult rollout of the COVID vaccine during the pandem pandemic, which went extremely well. So a future is future very much hangs in the balance. What's caused further jitters um, among his circle, certainly, is the statement of the boss of HMRC, Jim Hara, to MPs who said that there are no penalties for innocent tax errors. Now, why that statement is significant is because uh, Mrs. Harvey did pay a penalty and he has resolutely claimed that it was for innocent error and HMRC accepted this. But uh, that uh, appears to be contradicted here with uh, Mr. Harris's uh, statement that apparently what he's saying is that there is no penalty for innocent errors. And uh, so what does that mean? That means that there is an implication that those errors that uh, Mr. Zahavi made were not innocent and, uh, and uh, were quite clearly wrong, incorrect, and therefore had to be 
uh, dealt with through a penalty in order to redress the situation. Anyway, uh, anything else, uh, Imam Toki? I mean, I'm told that this is um, a, a very dry show sometimes and we should have a few jokes. So I picked up a couple. Okay? So one, because we're all married, so we, we, we have um, certain difficulties that all husbands fail. So there was this joke that, I, that I, I found. Today I started an argument with my wife while riding in an elevator. I was wrong on so many levels. That's one joke. <laughs> Doesn't make you laugh. What do you call a factory that makes okay products? Satisfactory, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, those are the only two. You know, but I suppose the um, uh, different uh, jokes appeal uh, appeal to the uh, to the young. But those are the jokes that uh, that amuse me. No, that was very satisfactory. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said. I'm glad you said. You think so? Anything else? Uh, well, there's um, there's this uh, legality of gray hair. I'm getting old. So I've got gray hair. Um, and um, there was this case um, that I think featured uh, over a week ago. It's about um, jokes about gray hair because we are living in uh, now in a culture that is increasingly getting uh, more wary of uh, not causing uh, distress to others because of differences. And uh, this uh, particular serious legal case was brought before an employment tribunal by Elizabeth Morgars. Uh, she claimed that she was being subjected to uh, discrimination by uh, her colleagues when she was nicknamed um, uh, Christine, Christine Lagarde, uh, um, uh, another French woman who also had gray hair. Uh, both uh, Ms. Mogaz and uh, Christine uh, are bankers and uh, French. Uh, she complained that she was being penalized for refusing to dye her white hair, among other things, and this is why she was made redundant. Uh, Deutsche Bank, her employers, argued that the decision to dismiss her was uh, that her counterpart in the U.S. had generated uh, 29 million pounds in business over the previous year, while she had mustered only 6 million in the same period. The tribunal ruled that the comparison with Lagarde was not offensive, nor was it an indication of a culture of discrimination against older women. The bank has dealt with Mogaz fairly and reasonably when selecting her for redundancy, and it was not sex or age discrimination. So that concludes uh, the uh, news review that uh, we have at the beginning of the program. We have to move swiftly now to uh, the main uh, the first of the uh, main stories that we are going to be addressing. Uh, why is pork bad for you? Something we picked up from zmescience.com. Uh, and the gist of the story is, uh, we'll be speaking to Professor Hanneberg on this, but um, let me just introduce the subject before we bring the professor on. Uh, although in small quantities of under 70 grams per day, Red meat is not as harmful to one's health. Consumption of pork, however, is associated with a significant risk of several chronic conditions, including diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and several types of cancer. The main reason pork is bad for one's health is because of its high content of saturated fats and cholesterol. However, as is often the case with nutrition, 
the scientific studies are not always clear-cut, and dietary recommendations tend to be uh, laxer than uh, than existing evidence. Um, pigs uh, were domesticated in Mesopotamia around 15,000 years ago, but up until the 20th century, consumption of pork was relatively low and often restricted to the autumn-winter part of the year. In the 20th century, uh, humanity rethought its animal consumption and industrial f- uh, farming took over. Uh, the world now produces four times more meat than 50 years ago, which is uh, t- 2013, uh, which, sorry, which in 2013 meant 320 million tons of meat. Uh, over 80 billion animals are slaughtered each year. Uh, with pig meat being the most popular type of meat globally, although poultry is increasingly uh, uh, increasingly becoming more popular as well. Um, pork consumption um, in the United States has remained relatively stable for much of the past century, although chicken, turkey, and beef have increased uh, compared to the early uh, 1900s. But this doesn't necessarily mean good news. Virtually all dietary guidelines recommend no more than 500 grams, 1.1 pounds of red meat a week, not just pork, uh, 1.1 pounds. So that's uh, four quarter pounders, isn't it, from McDonald's? Yes. Yeah, yeah four quarter pounders. <laughs> so one one point one pounds is four of them, and that's in a week. It's quite stringent, isn't it? So uh, Americans continue to, <laughs> not surprising, uh, Americans continue to cons- consume double that, and the numbers keep growing. It's not just Americans, although the U.S. is near the top of the list for per capita red meat consumption. Uh, the world is becoming more affluent. It is consuming more red meat, and pork is a staple in many parts of the world. Despite some um, claims from the industry, pork is undoubtedly red meat. In uh, particular, one advertising campaign from the United States uh, National Pork Board labeled pork as the other white meat. Uh, the campaign was highly successful, and at some point, 87% of consumers identified pork with the slogan, although the USDA never considered pork to be anything other than red meat. Uh, well, is pork bad for you? As far as studies are concerned, in 2012, a large investigation on over 100,000 individuals found strong evidence that consumption of red meat is linked to a shorter and less healthy life. The evidence was strong, although pork wasn't analyzed in particular. This is often the case in which, in, with such studies. They classify all red meat together. This study provides clear evidence that regular consumption of red meat, especially processed uh, meat, contributes substantially to premature death, according to Dr. Frank Hu. Uh, he's uh, one of the uh, senior scientists involved in the study and a professor of nutrition at the Harvard School of Public Health. It was by no means an isolated study. Uh, Studies have highlighted the health risks associated with uh, poor consumption for decades. Sometimes it's not always uh, obvious problems. For instance, 
1985 study finding a correlation between poor consumption and cirrhosis, uh, but most of the time the same health problems uh, pop up, despite the fact that pork can be a source of nutrients such as protein and iron, it is associated with a number of health problems. And there is also a connection with cancer in, uh, as far as pork consumption is concerned. In 2015, the International Agency for Research on Cancer concluded that red meat is probably carcinogenic to humans. Several types of cancer have been linked to pork. For instance, a 2011 analysis found that for each additional 100 grams of red meat, either pork or beef per day, the risk of uh, uh, colorectal cancer increases by 17%. Correlations were also observed for uh, pancreatic and prostate cancer, although the associations were not as strong. High intake, so this is uh, the, uh, the conclusion of uh, the study. It says that high intake of red meat and processed meat is associated with significant increased risk of colorectal col- uh, colon and rectal cancers. Uh, even moderate intake of pork can uh, increase the cancer risk. Uh, another study, uh, this is what another study found, and the study carried out in 2019 discovered that even red meat uh, consumption in accordance with existing guidelines leads to an increased bowel cancer risk, 20% with each extra slice of ham or rasher of bacon per day. It is particularly significant because it shows that the risk has remained significant even as people's diets may have changed over the years. It's worth noting that all these are big studies, and there's more. A 2013 meta-analysis study of studies uh, found that gastric cancer risk also increases with the red meat consumption, although uh, in the authors, uh, uh, in the study, the authors called for more uh, research to clarify the connection. Now, I mentioned earlier that we'll be talking to uh, an expert on this, uh, this is um, uh, one of the uh, what I would uh, suggest is um, one of the leading uh, uh, academics in this in this field, uh, Professor Mayek uh, Hanneberg. He's a professor of anthropology and comparative anatomy at the University of Adelaide, and it's a great pleasure for us uh, to find that he's on the line uh, to talk to us. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I'm very pleased to be online, so happy to answer your question. Thank you very much for coming on, uh, Professor. Um, uh, tell me, what what is your take on uh, the consumption of uh, of uh, uh, pork? Uh, is it something that is harmful to us, and in what respect? Well, consumption of pork in present day, especially developed countries, is not harmful uh, at all, to my mind, but if it could cause any potential harm, it's no different from other major cuts of red meat. So pork is a good source of protein. Pork is a good source of fat. Pork is a good source of all micro elements, micronutrients, also many vitamins. So there is no problem. In the past, 
pork was a major threat to the health because it spread uh, parasites, intestinal parasites, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. But now the hygienic approach to meat processing and so on eliminated this risk. Mm. So um, what are the risks then, would you say, um, of uh, poor consumption and what are the benefits? Well, the benefits, yet again, are like benefits of eating any meat. They are predominant. The most important benefit is that we eat protein. Our body consists mostly of proteins. Proteins are building our muscles and and we can only get all the uh, components of protein, all the amino acids, from eating meat, flesh of animals. And so pork gives us this opportunity. And and also, obviously, it contains fat, and that's a problem, because <laughs> if we overeat, mm-hmm. uh, we have too much fat, and uh, that means that our body mass may increase. But mm-hmm. for poorer people who do not have much of food, it's also a very good source of calories. Source of what? I didn't catch the last word. Oh, you oh, so, sure. Source of calories. Uh, oh, energy. energy, right. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you saying that uh, it's, it's a good source of protein? How do vegetarians then compensate for this uh, absence of protein source in their diet? vegetarians have a problem. Vegetarians, once they do, the uh, vegetarians must very carefully supplement their diets, especially with iron, uh, but also with those specific uh, proteins that our body cannot uh, produce. There are several amino acids, components of protein that our body cannot produce. There are sources of protein that are the plant sources, legumes, so all kinds of pulses, uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, beans, right. uh, lentils are good sources of protein. Mm-hmm. Some nuts are good sources of protein. And especially if various sources are combined, a person can get all necessary amino acids. Right. Uh, the, so for the, the the example is eating beans and corn, maize. Because mm-hmm. beans do, do not contain all amino acids that meat contains, but they contain a lot of them. Right. However, corn, maize, contains the the missing amino acids. So if you oh. eat both together, you get the full complement of see. amino acids. Mm-hmm. And now some studies suggest that meat, as well as sugar consumption, make a significant contribution to obesity. Obesity is a big issue these days. Uh, is this the case for all types of red meat? And uh, from your perspective, how controversial are these findings? Well, from my perspective, these con- these findings are not controversial because they are my own findings. Ah, right. <laughs> I, I okay. did most of the studi- studies with my uh, previous uh, PhD student, mm-hmm. Dr. Wenpeng Yu, who is mm-hmm. now my academic colleague, and uh, the, we think that meat contributes to the increase of obesity when consumed 
in larger quantities together with carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we have data from 190 countries of the world on consumption of animal flesh, meat, and the body mass index indicating obesity. And there is a very clear, strong correlation. The correlation is as strong as with eating sugar. But the main reason for these correlations is eating too much. Mm-hmm. Right, so overeating. Um, uh, my colleague is also with me, so he'll be asking a few questions. But let me just ask you this one before uh, before I pass the mic on. Uh, studies suggest that the consumption of pork can lead to severe chronic uh, conditions, including cardiovascular uh, diseases, diabetes, and also several types of cancer. Um, why is it that uh, pork meat is associated with so many health condition, or is it not uh, pork meat, but red meat? It is meat in general, mm-hmm. and these studies, including pork, obviously, are studies of so-called ecological association. So you correlate eating of a particular food like pork or red meat with various health conditions. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that it doesn't mean that there is a direct association or there is a direct cause from eating, let's say, pork and developing a particular cancer. These are statistical correlations. And yet again, quantities consumed here may have an effect. Plus, there is the effect of the overall lifestyle because people with a specific lifestyles may consume more pork than other meat or vice versa. And these people also develop uh, specific diseases. So the the correlation may exist, but it would have to be carefully studied what is the biochemical, physiological way that pork causes these problems and what are the accompanying circumstances, which we call confounders. Mm. The correlation is one thing. What about causal link? Can you... Can you um, provide a causal link and you can causal link be substantiated well the causal link is a direct biochemical pathway from let's say pork to a particular disease mm-hmm. uh, and uh, this would have to be done in studying the laboratory animals ah. and doing physiological studies not simply finding an observation that people who eat more pork also have have some specific disease mm-hmm. because there may be intervening different factors. Right. Okay. Um, my colleague is now ready. Uh, good morning, Professor. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I want good to morning. Ask, I want to ask you, is a diet high in uh, fats and carbohydrates sustainable or is this a serious issue for our modern diet and human health? Well, the diet, uh, the diet most, of most people today is high in carbohydrates, the daily bread, the, the potatoes, the rice, and uh, it has uh, usually significant quantities of fat because carbohydrates especially are a cheap source of food, cheap source of energy for our bodies, and fats... Uh, for example, 
plant-derived fats, various oils, are also cheaper sources of energy than meat or fats derived from meat. And yet again, uh, it's quantities that are consumed. So in other words, people who eat uh, small portions of carbohydrates and fats may not be obese and may be quite healthy. People who overeat these uh, products may have less health. Mm, thank you so much for that. And also, in order to curb uh, obesity, what should one be cautious of? Are there any particular dietary guidelines to be followed on this? Well, there are. The The most important is don't eat too much. <laughs> it's simple, but very difficult to achieve in present-day life. If then, don't mix meat and carbohydrates in the same meal. We all do it. The basic example is people eating so-called hamburger at McDonald's. Mm. There is a big bun. He's talking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Big bun consisting of of carbohydrate, of of, uh, wheat, and then a pad of meat. And if you do this, what happens is carbohydrates are easily digested and they quickly satisfy our need for calories, our need for energy. Meat takes longer to be digested, and when it finally is digested, the product of this digestion, which is called pyruvate, um, then instead of being used for energy, because uh, we already satisfied our energetic needs with carbohydrates, those pyruvates are then instead stored into fat. So if I suggested very strongly to eat separately uh, meat and uh, carbohydrates, not in the same meal. Thank you so much for that. And and lastly, before we do let you go, uh, one last question. In your opinion, should uh, consumers be warned about overconsumption of meat as well as sugar? Uh, of course. Of course. People should be warned because the common belief is that, uh, well, sugar is, is producing obesity and, and meat is fun. You know, our ancestors ate meat and nothing was happening. Yes, they should be warned, especially when they add meat to other foods in the same meal. So, yes, they should be warned about consuming meat with other foods. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Welcome. Thank you so much, Professor. Uh, so th- thank you so much once again for taking your time out and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so that was uh, Professor Henneberg. Uh, and Professor Henneberg, I didn't give the full bio that maybe I uh, should use the fellow of the Unit of Biocultural Variation and Obesity at the University of Oxford. Uh, He has 50 years experience working as an anatomist, biological anthropologist, and bioarchaeologist. He researched widely the role of meat in the human diet. Among 161 journals, he published his papers uh, in, uh, in, and as well as the Medical Journal of Islamic World, 
Academy of Science. So uh, a very reputable source. I'm sure you'll agree that we've had on the show uh, for this particular segment. Um, shall we um, share a clip or sh- shall we start uh, an Islamic angle? Yes, uh, we can start off with the clip. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so for this particular uh segment we will be discussing at what does islam say with regards uh with regards to pork and why is it forbidden uh for muslims in eating pork um so firstly uh, we'll start off with uh, listening to this clip by the fourth caliph of the empty muslim community uh mercy on him so let's listen to one of these clips why muslims are forbidden to have pigs. Oh yes, I was expecting that because somebody asked about alcohol and I thought the second part would be coming. Yes. You see, pig's meat is mentioned in the Holy Quran is forbidden as uh, uncouth or something which is not good for us. Now, I can't explain this medically here, but I know that medically also it has been mentioned that this flesh of meat has been responsible for most diseases found in those countries, for many diseases, where they eat pig. You see, the, the, for instance, this um, crisscross skin with reddish uh, marks, threaded skin, uh, with, with flushes and very ugly looking skin. If you ever happen to go to a seaside during summer and you see the bare flesh, human flesh, you know, bathing in the sun, it's a horrifying sight mostly because you see the skin all is a bad shape, thick uh, fat covered with uh, maps of, of red veins, etc., that is mostly caused by eating of, of pork. But some doctors have written some extensive essays, articles on this subject, that pork is not a good meat. It is not, in, in the final analysis, it's not good for health. But that is comparatively less important. What is more important is that every animal has been created by God. Life is not important, not only important, it is sacred. We eat of flesh of some animals not because we have a direct right to do, to kill any animal. It is only because we believe God is the proprietor. God is the creator. If he permits, only then we are uh, within our rights to slaughter an animal, kill him for the purpose of eating the flesh. So, suddenly we come across, don't eat this meat. Then we know whether it is out of sanction from Allah that we had been eating or just out of our own desire. If we abstain from meat, eating that meat which is forbidden, then really we demonstrate that we are eating whatever we eat out of permission. And wherever the permission is withheld, we don't eat. So, uh, to test human obedience to God in different areas, different trials are kept in religion. 
So in the area of eating, it works as a trial for us. If we really believe that God is the proprietor, He is the creator, then where when He says don't eat, we must stop. It's all right, we won't eat. Like sometimes mothers tell you of the food. They know some food is bad for you. You cannot understand why. But they told you, no, don't 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 drink this, don't eat that. And because they give you all the good food, it will be so bad of you to rebel against this order and say, no, I must eat this. So you say, all right, mother, if you have forbidden me to eat this particular thing or to stop drinking Coca-Cola or do this or do that, I'll do that, it's okay. You don't understand why, yet you obey. So it is exactly the similar situation. God has forbidden you to eat certain things, to drink certain things. One he has chosen from the drinks, one he has chosen from the flesh, and uh, that is our trial. So even if you don't understand, you say, all right, you have given us everything and we obey you. Okay? Yeah, Good. thank you. So that was a short clip from the fourth caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community. Um, May Allah have mercy on him. A very interesting uh, topic that we are covering. covering. Um, and particularly when we look at uh, the word khinzir, uh, that's the word which has been used within the Holy Quran. It's interesting because uh, this is a combination of two words, khinz and ara. And the first part meaning, uh, khinz meaning very foul. And uh, the second part, ara meaning I see. Um, and uh, so the whole meaning will be uh, I see it very foul. So the word itself, when we particularly focus on it, it means that something which is foul, which is which is not good. And uh, it, it, what's interesting also to note is that it is not only Islam which prohibits the eating uh, eating pork. At the onset, it should be noted that uh, out of today's followers of the last three main religion, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, Jews and, is- and Muslims do not eat pork while Christians do. And the point to consider then is that uh, is not why Muslim and Jews avoid pork, but rather why uh, why is it permissible in Christianity to eat pork when it isn't forbidden in the religion that came immediately before Christianity? And uh, according to the Holy Bible, Jesus, peace be upon him, he declared that he did not come to alter, but rather to fulfill the teachings of Prophet Moses, peace be upon him. And referring to the Mosaic teachings, Jesus himself, it is stated in the Bible in Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 17, he said, and I quote, that, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So in light of this, we, we, we say that uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, he came to revive uh, the the mosaic law and if we if we see in within that law it is forbidden to eat pork and in light of this it seems unreasonable to suppose that Jesus peace be upon him he would have eaten swine uh, which was clearly forbidden in the 
Judaic teachings that he had come to revive. And moreover, there is no evidence in the New Testament to show that Jesus, peace be upon him, he permitted anything that was prohibited by Moses, peace be upon him himself. Um, and neither does it show that Jesus to have categorically stated that eating uh, pork was allowed. And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll go more into detail of this um, and we'll look at the Islamic analysis of this as well. Uh, but as we are reaching the 8 o'clock news, uh, we are going to be uh, going into the 8 o'clock news and uh, we will then be elaborating more onto this and also looking at the Islamic analysis of this uh, of this particular um, of this of this of this particular subject as well. Uh, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this break and we'll be back straight after that. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Uh, peace be upon you. Good morning. Uh, welcome back to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam with myself, Walid Ahmed, and Imam Tawkeet and me. The time is two minutes past eight. It's Friday the 27th of January 2023. We were discussing before the break this particular story about uh, pork, why it is bad for you. In the con- and we were also discussing this in the context of Islamic prohibitions regarding food. Uh, there is another clip that we want to share with you. This is regarding uh, other meats. Uh, what other meats besides pork are Muslims forbidden to eat? Uh, and this is what uh, this uh, clip has to say. Are we allowed to eat meat apart from pork in school which is not halal? Yes, there are other types of meats which are not halal apart from pork and you want to know which ones? Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, if you go by classifications, all animals which are called animals of prey, which live on the flesh of other animals, they have been declared haram by the Holy Quran as a category. And in between them, and uh, those animals which have been declared halal positively, there are uh, uh, various animals which belong to the no man's land. But the principle declared by the Holy Quran is that not only should you eat halal, but you should also eat tayyab. And you should also be, uh, be very careful as to use an animal for the purpose for which it is created. For instance, if you begin to eat horses, number one, it would not be tayyab because horses are meant for a different purpose so their meat is not uh, very savory, very palatable to human taste. And this is why the horses in jungle are also not shot, not for game. Asses, their built donkeys, they are built for a certain purpose for carrying loads. So they are not eaten. But there are certain animals like uh, um, uh, camels, which are multi-purpose animals, and which have been declared by the Holy Quran uh, to be counted among those animals which have been created also for, for the purpose of eating. So these animals which belong to no man's land, they are numerous. But human practice generally establishes that they are not eaten, they are not created for eating, and they should be left alone. But you shouldn't go by human practices. They vary. 
you should take your light from the principles laid down in the Holy Quran. Because the practices vary so much that if you go to Africa among the pagans, there are no inhibitions. They can eat insects of all sorts and they enjoy them so much that they would keep watching for the insects whole night, you know, by, by a burning lamp. The moment insect comes, they would grab it and eat it. And they think they are very delicious. And the Chinese, you know, they eat everything and anything. Once there was, uh, a, a friend of mine told me a joke about, uh, and he told me it was not a joke, it was a real experience, but we don't know. I doubt it if it was, it actually happened. But it is relevant to your question. The human practices vary so much that if you can't take your light and direction from just human practices, you must take your light from the Holy Quran and the tradition of the Holy Prophet. Whatever he demonstrated to be good for eating, you should better restrict yourself. Otherwise, you will enter such regions where uh, there will be just confusion and you wouldn't be able to decide for yourself. Now, this gentleman of the story, he went to visit uh, uh, Hong Kong or some other place where there, there is greater Chinese influence. And people had warned him, look here, they eat everything, so you better just not uh, be satisfied with telling, by telling them that you don't eat pork. You have to mention so many other things which you do not eat. For instance, rats and uh, donkeys and things and all sorts and bats and so on. So he prepared a very long list. So when he went to the restaurant, the bear appeared. Uh, he said, look here, this is the list which I don't eat. So instead of asking me what I would eat, I'm going to tell you I don't eat these things. Bring anything else. So he bowed and very gently and politely as the Chinese are generally. He said, yes, don't worry. I'll, I'll get you something still. So he brought some food and he ate it. And when he upstairs in his room, he felt very hot. And the whole night he felt like barking. <laughs> and the next morning, when he inquired what it was, he was it was told that he, it was a dog. Because he had omitted dog from that list. <laughs> so they eat everything and uh, anything which is available. This is a joke, but I tell you, an Ahmadi who was laboring, working as a laborer in Hong Kong, told me something which he had seen with his own eyes. And I know him to be an honest, truthful person, so I have to believe, otherwise I can't believe it. He told me that once he was working in, in a cellar, it's not a, not a cellar, but uh, um, a basement where there was so much uh, um, stock of grain, and, uh, no, no, underground, I mean, underground basement, yes, we go down, it's correct. And there was so much, such, so much stock of grain of various types and there were so many rats as well. So a Chinese laborer was working along with him who used to bring his bread and uh, would buy something to make a sandwich out, out of the pieces of bread he brought with him. So once he saw him with his own eyes, a rat scurried through and immediately he grabbed the rat and sandwiched the rat alive between the two pieces of bread and started eating it. 
and he is so happy, his, his, his face was beaming with delight, you know. What a delicious sandwich that was. So don't take your light from just human experience, please. Right. Uh, <coughs> it's an interesting story, especially at breakfast time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, has a, it has a lesson, doesn't it, that, uh, about uh, what, what is Sayyib and, uh, and uh, the fact that um, certain foods are considered to be a delicacy for some people, but not for... Absolutely, and uh, and as Olinas explained as well, the differentiation between something which is halal and which is tayyab. Mm. Uh, for example, as Olinas mentioned that uh, uh, the meat of a horse, mm. uh, although at certain places it is permissible to eat it, it's not tayyab because uh, horse itself has been used. Uh, you know, it's it's an animal which is u- used for riding for transportation. So it is something uh, which uh, which is uh, which is tayyib. The literal meaning of tayyib is pure. Mm-hmm. So uh, something which uh, you know does doesn't fulfill that. You know, we we should ourselves try to uh, avoid that and eat what, what is tayyib. Something which is good for our body. Um, so we were discussing. You know, why is pork itself forbidden within Islam but uh, before I was discussing that I was looking at uh, the Bible as well and I mentioned the quote um, from Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 uh, where Jesus himself said that he came to revive the teachings uh, the, the the mosaic teachings um, and we see that uh within uh, the Jewish community uh, the eating of swine is not prohibited Um, so according to the teachings of uh, Jesus himself he came to revive the mosaic teachings and we see that he did not prohibit um, any of the teachings that were permitted by Moses peace be upon him himself in fact if we read the Bible if we look at Leviticus uh, chapter 11 verse 7 to 8 we find that uh, when it talks about pork, when it talks about the swine, it states that this is an animal which is unclean. Um, and it clearly states here that you should not eat uh, the flesh of this animal. So it says here, and I quote that, and the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud. He is unclean to you, or their flesh shall ye not eat and their carcasses shall you not touch. They are unclean to you. So very clearly here it is mentioning that this is an animal which is unclean to you and you should not eat the flesh of this animal. Not just eat, but it says that you should not even touch the carcasses of this of this animal. So as mentioned before, the word khinzir itself uh, is a combination of two words. Uh, khinzir Khinz meaning something very foul and ara meaning I see. So an Arabic word, khinzir, uh, literal meaning would be I see very foul. Um, so this is the literal meaning which has also been used in the Holy Quran. Uh, and if we look further into detail in some of the few chapters of the Holy Quran, uh, we'll get a more deeper understanding into this. For example, if we look at chapter 2 verse 174, it says in the Holy Quran, 
And I quote that, and he has made unlawful to you only that which dies of itself and the blood and the flesh of swine and that on which the name of any other uh, than Allah has been invoked. Also, it says at another another place in chapter 5, verse 4, um, and I quote, Forbidden to you is the flesh of an animal which dies of itself, and blood and the flesh of swine, and that which is invoked, the name of any other than Allah, and that which has been strangled, and that beaten to death, and that killed by a fall, and that which has been gored to death, and that of which a wild animal has eaten, except that which you properly uh, slaughtered, and that which has been slaughtered at an altar um, as an offering to the idols. That This day have I perfected your religion for you, and completed my favor upon you, and I've chosen for you Islam as religion. And another place in the Holy Quran, in chapter 6, verse 146, it says, and I quote, that I find not in what has been revealed to me or forbidden to an eater who desires to eat it, except it be that which dies of itself or blood poured forth or the flesh of swine. For all that is unclean um, or what is profane or on which is invoked the name other than Allah. So, a careful reflection of all the above verses, they lead to the understanding that one aspect of the prohibition of certain meat relates to their physical qualities, that is, eating the flesh of animals that are deceased, beaten, already dead, um, from a cause of other slaughtering of food are forbidden. In addition, however, a second aspect of the prohibition is seen to relate to a wider moral and spiritual context. For instance, not pronouncing the name of Allah can render an otherwise permitted food um, forbidden. So, a food which is already forbidden, if the um, you know if the name of Allah, uh, apart from that, another name has been pronounced on that, then that same food is forbidden. Another example: an animal slaughtered. Uh, as an offering to idols also renders the food unlawful and even if the animal is otherwise lawful to eat and all rules of slaughtering were adhered in both examples the reason for prohibition would not alter the physical composition of the food and the moral context therefore plays an important role in the prohibition of certain food as this relates to an effect on the soul and the mindset of a person and the promised messiah peace be upon him he has also further elaborated on this how what we eat has a direct influence on our soul in the in his book in the philosophy and the teachings of islam uh, where he explains that uh, even when it comes to eating we should adopt moderation not too much of meat is not even good for you and not too much of uh, vegetables is not good for you and we should adopt moderation even when it comes into eating and I wanted to finish off this Islamic analysis um, by by a uh, a summary of uh, what the fourth caliph um, Azam Zatayr Ahmed may Allah have mercy on him which he explained 
that uh, the basis of the prohibition of swine it lies in three main characteristic um, that our pigs are particularly known to possess and they are considered immoral from a religious point of view and these three points are firstly it is mentioned that uh, pigs have immoral sexual habits and in that if two males are present together with only one female both males will mate with the female when when after one after the other and this is contrary to what is observed in the rest of the animal kingdom where two males would comp- compete uh, one and until one has been defeated following which the only uh, victor would mate with the female and the the second characteristic is that uh, pigs have a habit of being so domestic homosexual and in order to satisfy their sexual desire and although this habit is sometimes seen on and off in an ad hoc manner in other animals pigs are well known for this practice and thirdly the third characteristics which is mentioned is that pigs are normally uh, their herbivores their plant eating animals and they show no hesitation in eating the flesh of their offspring when it dies particularly its own piglet and in the rest of the animal kingdom even carnivores uh, meat eating animals who eat the flesh of other animals will avoid eating their own kith um so you know the these are the three main and profound um characteristics which uh, which are very immoral of the of this animal and hence that is why when the holy quran mentions it uh the word khanzir itself it means that i see something very foul and this is something which is very much uh predominant within this animal so with that we'll um close this in anal- islamic analysis and uh, we'll move on to the next segment Thank you very much. Yes, uh, the next segment, uh, as mentioned, is going to be the Abrahamic family house. That's the title of this critical topic. Uh, and uh, it goes on to say this, uh, to complete the title, a beacon of mutual understanding, harmonious coexistence and peace. Something we picked up from the uh, For Human Fraternity website. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> basically... This says that the Abrahamic family house will be a beacon of mutual understanding, harmonious coexistence, and peace among people of faith and goodwill. It consists of a mosque, church, synagogue, and educational center to be built on Saadiyat Island, the cultural heart of Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, through its design it captures the values shared between Judaism Christianity and Islam and serves as a powerful platform for inspiring and nurturing understanding and acceptance between people of goodwill the vision for the abrahamic family house originated after the signing of the document on human fraternity by pope francis and grand imam ahmed al tayeb in February 2019 the landmark will be a place for learning dialogue and worship open to all and a true reflection of the UAE's belief in tolerance and hospitality 
Within each of the houses of worship, visitors will have the opportunity to learn about religious services, listen to holy scripture, and experience sacred rituals. A fourth space, uh, not affiliated with any specific religion, will be an educational center where all people can come together as a single community devoted to mutual understanding and peace. The Abrahamic Family House will host a variety of programming and events, from daily religious services to international summits. Currently under construction, the project's anticipated completion date is in 2023, this year in other words, and will be one of several undertakings the Higher Committee of Human Fraternity will advise upon. Uh, now, there is uh, a lot of uh, mention about uh, architectural design. Might as well mention, uh, share that with you. Um, the architectural design should work to enshrine the kind of world we want to live in, a world of tolerance, openness, and constant advancement. Architecture and landscape design can interpret the fabric and principles of a place to advance the conversation reassess current assumptions about the world and discover more meaningful what mean more meaningfully what a place can give back the design aims to both meaningfully represent and support diverse communities of worships residents and visitors unlocking a contemporary spirit that draws from tradition but look towards the future a future defined by acceptance inclusion and peace the design seeks a common language between the three monumental buildings of faith, grounding them with an external visual harmony while ensuring they retain their vital format uh, distinctiveness. Three identically signed cubic volumes sit on the podium, unified by their scale and external, external materiality. They each express themselves differently but share equal external dimensions with a unifying root at a shared datum height, ensuring that none of the buildings from the three is more dominant than its uh, counterparts. So there is a great emphasis of trying to engender equality there. Uh, a mosque honoring uh, tradition uh, and celebrating communal gatherings. So the three places of worship are then uh, elaborated upon as to what they consist of. The uh, mosque celebrates both collective congregation and vital provision of privacy. It uniformly gifts users with opportunities to observe the customs of Islamic prayer, once again using articulated thresholds to allow viewing to occur separately to the act of joining. The building promotes sequence, layering, and a rhythmic journey that begins with observing is followed by spiritual ablution and culminates in prayer. This building has been designed not in service to typology, but in an earnest pursuit to represent its contemporary congregants. Its lofty vertical vaults uplift its visitors, allowing them to feel enveloped in a space of veneration and historic belief. So that's the mosque as far as the church is concerned. Uh, communal ceremony and togetherness are given priority with a wider element existing outside the church's entrance and manifesting as a ritual of crossing over as opposed to the sequence of descent occurring in the mosque and synagogue. And finally, the synagogue, the first 
As the first purpose-built synagogue in the United Arab Emirates, the synagogue represents a series of architectural thresholds that culminate in a shrouded, sanctified, built representation of communal prayer. The multi-layered facade of the synagogue recalls the Jewish uh, Sukkol festival, where palm trees are harvested and communities build tents in their gardens as a designated areas for gathering and eating. Uh, the ritual of assembling the Sukkot or Sukkot is uh, celebrated through the rhythmic uh, hierarchy of columns between which uh, visitors are invited to explore and learn about the Jewish faith. The overriding aim of the synagogue is to bring people together and the synagogue features a series of interwoven spaces that work in service of human scale uh, interactions. So that I think is uh, enough of the uh, the um, description of what this uh, particular uh, setup is. Uh, and I think it's time that we also looked at the uh, Islamic perspective that we can share. Uh, yeah, before we do um, look into the Islamic perspective as well, we also did uh, conduct an interview with uh, Alma Mati and she is uh, her introduction is that she is inter- originally from Albania and uh, now living in Canada um, is an educator so uh, we conducted her interview so let's listen to what she has to say on this topic we are joined on the line by Alma Mati um, she's originally from Albania and is now living in Canada she's an educator um, welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio Breakfast here. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah. So for the benefit of our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about your background, what it was like living in Albania during the Civil War and now in Canada, and how has this shaped your values? So I grew up in a country that was in essentially chaos. Um, my parents' experiences during the fall of communism were difficult. Um, however, they tried to keep their best and to ensure that their children never felt like they were growing up in the middle of anarchy, guns, and violence. Um, But as children, we always knew something was kind of wrong with the way that we were living and and the experiences that we were having and the context we were living in. But our parents tried to protect us as best as they could. Um, We moved a lot as children and uh, we never really had a stable home. So my father spent seven years after the fall of communism building a home for us and for himself Um, and all by himself. Um, They had little, my parents, um, and during communism as they were growing up, religion was forbidden during their childhood. So they did not raise us with any idea of religion actually in our family. Um, not only in our immediate family, but in the extended family as well. You know, the idea of God and the idea of religion was kind of met with a lot of kind of, you know, um, not contempt, but it was not a topic of discussion and it was not welcome. Um, so I would, you know, I'll later find out as I was growing up as an adolescent here in Canada, that religion was quite a trigger in my family. And the idea of God was in a little odd debate and arguing. So I felt like I was an observer as a child and things were happening around me, but I was never really quite there. Like things just didn't, you know, nothing really made sense. I was just kind of observing what was happening. So I would say that this reality within my family shaped my character as well as the way I would respond to the trauma I faced when we came to Canada. So the main value really my family taught me was honesty and kindness. And again, 
my childhood was a very happy childhood. So as children usually are, um, you know, uh, we grew up with very little, but we didn't know that we had very little. Um, but the honesty and the kindness, uh, it was these two simple values, I think, that shaped me in terms of the direction I would take as I grew up once we came to Canada. Um, once we arrived in Canada, we spent one year learning the language and fitting into the new society. Uh, but within one year and a half, unfortunately, we found out that my mother had cancer. So she was sick in the hospital for a year and she passed away. Um, and at this time, I was 15 years old and we had just arrived here. So um, that was quite a traumatic experience for us for me, as well as my family. Um, and as new immigrants in survival mode, we truly, as a family, did not have direction in terms of healing and growing together. We, you know, we just kind of, like, move forward, but without really understanding what really happened. Um, and this lack of a foundation of meaning that, you know, a spiritual identity, I would find out later on, provides was a believing God. God was really lacking in my family. Um, the only purpose I had really at this time as a child was I wanted to go to university. I wanted to, to get educated. And this was a big value in my family, education. And also my little brother, um, who I'm, I'm really close with and who I was close to at this time. So really, you know, just arriving in Canada and, you know, my childhood um, in Albania were kind of, were kind of, alienating in a sense because I didn't really know where I belonged at this time. I was just doing things um, out of a survival instinct and making sure that we were succeeding at least um, in the new context that we found ourselves in. Thank you so much for sharing. It's definitely not easy losing a parent, but in the midst of a civil war and immigration, it must have been really challenging and it's good you could incorporate kindness and love despite all of that. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, you have been fortunate to travel quite widely and have been to Abu Dhabi, and we are discussing this new Abrahamic family house that consists of a mosque, church, synagogue, and educational center to be built on Saadiyat Island to be a beacon of mutual understanding, harmonious coexistence, and peace among people of faith and goodwill. Can you tell us about your experience in Abu Dhabi, and what do you think about the idea of this new center? Yes, of course. So I actually met my husband, Akil, in high school, and uh, we were married at 22 years old. He's an Amity Muslim. Um, at the beginning of our struggle, at, at the beginning of the relationship, we struggled a lot uh, with our personal identities, you know, differences in color, the way our communities perceived us, and feeling accepted and loved uh, from those who were meant to love us most. So Islam was present in our lives, but due to the lack of support and true authentic care, it was difficult for us to really share with each other in a healthy way. So we're both really, you know, in survival mode to our 20s. And I mentioned this because, you know, I right now we have been fortunate enough to travel, but our early 20s are very, very difficult. Uh, we were supporting ourselves through school and later on in our careers teaching. But teaching gave us the opportunity to grow and work with children. It also helped me and, and him create classroom communities that we feel like we belong somewhere and the kids feel like they belong somewhere and it also gives us the opportunity to travel. So in the last eight years, we have visited over 50 countries and the UAE was one of them. Um, Abu Dhabi is incredible. So we initially went to Dubai and then we decided to go to Sheikh Zayed Mosque to, uh, to visit. Um, and one thing that we noticed in the UAE in general is that they practice great religious tolerance. Uh, the whole country is made of expats that coexist with one another, and uh, the respect and beauty uh, we were able to 
experience there. We have not been able to experience anywhere else. Uh, so at the Sheikh Zayed Mosque, for example, uh, throughout the mosque, there's so many messages and quotes from the Quran that highlight religious tolerance and love for humanity. You know, some of the quotes, for example, refer to the people of the book. So Christians and Jews and, you know, Muslims coexisting and living together. Um, another quote that they, from the Quran that they had put up, you know, is to your religion, to me, my religion. So within that, you know, within that quote, you know, or within that context, we can all coexist and respect and learn from each other. So all of these quotes were connected to the contextual relevant references to modern life and coexistence. And, you know, um, I mean, with globalization right now and immigration and people coexisting together, this becomes such a huge and important aspect of, you know, of people sharing with one another and being in community and growing uh, through each other and from each other. Mm, so I think it's a, it's a wonderful place to build a place like this. Mm-hmm. And you've also had the opportunity to visit the West Bank in Israel and Palestine. Could you kindly describe your experience? Yes. So we visited Israel last year and we stayed in Haifa um, at the Ahmadiyya community headquarters, uh, as well as a mosque there. Uh, we stayed there for two nights and then we traveled to Jerusalem. Um, but we decided to stay in East Jerusalem, which is considered West Bank. So we actually had to go and cross the Israeli separation wall sorry, wall, uh, and they across the wall. So um, we stayed in Palestine um, in an Airbnb and uh, had to cross into Jerusalem every day to a checkpoint. Um, so my husband and I, we are avid runners. Uh, we work out daily and um, on our daily workouts, whenever we would go for a run in the West Bank, we would come across the wall, the separation wall, um, and that was very difficult for me uh, to see that wall because it was just a physical manifestation of, of the struggle between the Palestinians and uh, the Israelis. Um, on the daily, whenever we had to go into Jerusalem, uh, we would see Palestinians leave the bus and be checked through the gate. Most of the people on the bus uh, were women, um, and um, they always had to get off the bus and go through the checkpoint gate and then get back on the bus. and. Um, as you can imagine, you know, certain times their documents did not check out and we would be waiting there while people left. So my husband and I, we were on that bus, but because we're Canadian citizens, we, we had an easier time getting through um, while the Palestinians kind of had to always leave the bus and be questioned quite um, a lot. Uh, these Israeli soldiers were very young and their snipers for me were the thing that kind of stood out the most. Uh, there was a heavy military security presence in Jerusalem. It was Incredible visiting the sites, for sure, especially the Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque. We had a chance to go to Bethlehem and visit the Church of Nativity, as well as Hebron and visit the burial sites of Prophet uh, Abraham and Isaac. Uh, this, trip, this trip was very emotional for me um, because of the military presence. Uh, and at times when we were sleeping in the West Bank, uh, there were sound bombs, so they would... Um, they would they would put uh, to, you know, to scare young men, for example, uh, in the area. And that scared me the most. And it made me feel like I did during the civil war in Albania. And, you know, you feel very unsafe and upset. Um, there is a physical coexistence of the two religions in Israel, but it's marred by war and tolerance that at times for me, it was difficult to fathom. And honestly, I was just 
by the end of it, we were just happy to get onto a plane and, and leave. And as we were leaving, you know, both my husband and I, you know, were just sort of reflecting on how we get to leave, but they don't. So um, it's just, you know, it's obviously a very, a very contentious and, you know, uh, very difficult situation there. But, um, you know, it's, it, it was incredible to, to visit, but again, um, difficult emotionally, for sure. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's very interesting and awe-inspiring. Um, and what are the current issues facing youth today, and how can Islam be incorporated in the healing of our youth to give direction and meaning in a world that is fast-paced, capitalist, and essentially material-driven? So I've always been in education, um, I started when I was 19 years old. Um, I started tutoring kids, but uh, I've been an educator with the Eurovision District, District School Board here in Toronto for the last 10 years. And uh, I've seen and work with, my, with many, many adolescents. Uh, so I work with kids aged 13 to 18 years old and um, technology and its impact, I would say, on mental health is the biggest issue we're seeing in our youth today. Uh, TikTok, online gambling, and sports betting, as well as addictions of all kinds are on the rise. So youth mental health has also declined post-COVID, and as educators, this definitely has posed a huge challenge for us. Um, the changes we're seeing today have never been seen before in history, and I think direction, connection, and understanding have never been more important. Um, we live in a high-paced capitalist society that is material-driven, um, there is a lost sense of community. For many parents, a child's marks and career goals are seen as the most important thing. Parents are concerned with financial success, and so are the children. Uh, and it's understandable, especially in the climate that we live in right now, uh, where the economy is highly volatile, housing is very difficult to obtain, uh, things are unpredictable, but it's also an opportunity for healing. Um, you know, Islam is not merely a set of rules and prayers, um, and it's not solely a practice to just get done as a check mark on a box, but a way of life uh, that can lead to healing, growth, and connection within families and communities. Direction is definitely so important in today's world, and the ability to see oneself as special, and life is truly yours to live. Um, for myself, you know, this was the most important thing because I felt like I didn't have much direction or an identity growing up uh, in Albania as well as coming here. You know, the, the focus is really just to get to university and survive. And so I needed that direction, you know. I needed direction to to give meaning to my life and um, heal myself. Um, and, um, you know, this is where <laughs> Allah helps those who help, them, help themselves. And, you know, parents as well as adults have responsibility responsibility to lead the youth and provide them the tools to be able to self-regulate and contribute positively to their own lives and the lives of others. Children definitely need to be able to express their emotions. Um, and this is a big one, you know, uh, we see certain emotions as positive, you know, love, uh, you know, uh, kindness, all these things. And then we see certain emotions like anger, sadness, and rage as negative, but all emotions are given to us by Allah. They are there for a reason. Kids need to be able to feel their emotions and only when they can do this, uh, they can learn to truly work through them in a healthy way. All emotions have to be felt. Anger, rage, sadness, they serve a purpose. 
Emotions that are repressed become illness later in life. It truly starts with the love and support within the family, accepting the children as they are, and serving as role models for them to follow. There's an absence of mentors, I think, in the lives of our youth, and this has to change. So I think Islam, you know, plays a huge role in this because it focuses on the idea of community. We are by nature, uh, you know, social animals. We thrive with support, kindness, and healing. And I think Islam really has to holistically and authentically be you know, um, be incorporated in the ch- in the lives of children through modeling from parents uh, and the communities they live in, right? So not just saying, or, you know, things, but really modeling that behavior. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think nations can strive to live together in peace and harmony, particularly if we have youth who have been brought up with these values. Um, there is a famous mm-hmm. quote, actually, by the second caliph um, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is, Nations cannot be reformed without the reformation of youth. And if you read the book Fazl Umar, which can be found on the w- website www.alislam.org, I was personally astounded to see how perfectly the Promised Messiah raised his children to have this high sense of morality, of upholding the truth. And he was so patient and kind with his children that he created this loving bond and a natural desire in his children to be obedient and there is a lot of research currently in parenting methods and it is awe-inspiring to see that such a person from over a hundred years ago in a tiny village in India embodied these principles so perfectly to create leaders of the next generation. Um, yeah, so um, I just wanted to ask you as well, um, how, how can we encourage a sense of mutual understanding and peaceful coexistence between faiths, is it important for governments to give full rights and freedoms to its citizens for society to flourish? So I think, you know, this connects a little bit also with the previous question. Um, One of the quotes that I kind of came across while reading uh, recently is connection comes before correction. Um, You know, this is one of the most powerful quotes I think I've read. And uh, nothing is ever gained by criticizing others or debating and arguing with others about how our way of life or my way of life or your way of life or belief is right and theirs is wrong. You can't connect with people by, you know, thinking you are right and they are wrong, you know. You have to connect with them on a human level. So no one ever changed to, you know, arguing, right? Um, the only thing that comes out of that attitude is defensiveness and disconnection. The only way we can truly coexist with one another is through connection, a true understanding of our diversity and validation of our personal experiences. So there is, uh, you know, we know that powerful verse in the Quran where it says, you know, we made you uh, nations and different tribes and different people so you could get to know one another, right? Um, For myself, I accepted Islam last year, actually, and I just completed reading the Quran and its translation this year. The Quran, I see it as a letter from Allah to each of us. The only way we will truly be able to achieve grace is by recognizing that every single one of us is special and from Allah. The Quran resonated, resonates differently for each of us based on our personal experiences and context. My personal experience might be very different from your personal experience, but we can learn from one another. Um, personally, it took me many years to truly see the ways that Islam could be healing for me. Uh, I love reading the Quran and hearing the Quran, but struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer because I've never known how to ask for help. And, you know, coexisting with each other, for example, is about asking for help. So 
sometimes, you know, um, help comes in the most mysterious ways. Uh, from a young age, my husband and I had to take care of our own selves with very little help from anyone. But Allah was always there. Without me ever asking him for help, he has given me the world. Um, Islam is the anchor, I believe, for self-regulation. Um, and, it, you know, again, it doesn't have to be Islam. If somebody is Christian or if somebody is Jewish or if somebody is, you know, Buddhist, um, as long as they're using their belief system as an anchor and they truly have that integrity uh, in themselves, it can serve as a reminder to always strive to be a, human, a better human being. Authenticity and peaceful coexistence can only be achieved once we truly see each other as a part of ourselves and a part of nature. This includes animals, the environment, and every living thing. Governments need to give full rights and freedoms to all people for society to flourish. But I also believe that hyper-capitalist and materialist goals have also led to isolation, mental health decline, physical health decline due to excess and lower well-being for people, and we really see that in society today. We personally have a responsibility to ourselves to build better habits and live what we believe. This can only be achieved with a lot of self-focus, work on the self. Um, therapy is a big one. If one has the privilege to access counselors, because it is a privilege, it's very expensive, they can help, especially where trauma is involved in the building of good habits. I always say five things have changed my life, and I do these five things every day. Both my husband and I, we wake up at 5 a.m. prayer. We do an early morning workout, we make our bed every day, and we drink lemon ginger tea and we read the Quran. So every morning, that's what we do. And I'm sure many different people around the world, you know, who have built, who have had the privilege to build good habits, do different things, you know, early in the morning, meditate or pray or work out or, you know, get in touch with themselves. And all these things, you know, are so important um, in order to lead a healthy life and then contribute to community. Thank you. That's really lovely. I'm sure people will really benefit from that. And yes, you're absolutely right. It's both us as individuals and governments who can create societies and nations to flourish. And on this topic of the role of the government, I just wanted to point out um, a recent news that was that Justin Trudeau with regards to Bill 21, which is a bill practiced only in the French-speaking province of Quebec, Canada, and not within the rest of Canada. So um, Justin Trudeau recently publicly announced that he would not rule out federal intervention in the legal challenge. So I'm just going to just explain for the benefit of our listeners what Bill 21 is. So it's similar to the secularism law in France. It essentially bans public sector workers who are considered in positions of authority, such as teachers, judges and police officers from wearing religious symbols. So in my humble opinion, it's not just shameful discrimination, but it's illogical as it's not in the best interest of the province and it unnecessarily increases tensions and the province loses out on talented people in society who can contribute to the economy and enable it to flourish. So yeah, it's both the government and us who can create the difference as well in society. And so with that, I wanted to thank you so much, Alma, for joining us on our show today and sharing your story and valuable contribution. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you so much. And I wish you the best as well. As-salamu alaykum. Yes, so that was Alma Mati. And as we are uh, coming to a close for this particular segment as well, um, we, we wanted to look at the Islamic perspective as well on this particular subject. Um, and we read in chapter 49, verse 14, it says in the Holy Quran, in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful, that 
O mankind, we have created you from a male and female, and we have made you into clans and tribes that you may recognize one another. Verily, the most honorable amongst you is he who is the most righteous among you. Surely, Allah is all-knowing, all-aware. And such a beautiful verse in the of the Holy Quran that God Almighty very clearly says that we have made you into clans and tribes that you may recognize one another. And uh, this verse itself encourages that we should develop a mutual relations with all other people from different backgrounds. And this initiative of uh, mosques being built and having synagogue and uh, having different houses of worship at this particular place, um, it should be very much promoted as, you know, we, we should respect one another. And even if we look at various narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, we see that in Medina, uh, the Holy, the Muslims, they lived with various other tribes as well. There was it is narrated that there were other Jewish tribes that also lived there as well. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, he had an alliance with those communities over there. And we often find narrations that he showed respect and love to all other religions. For example, it is very well narrated that a uh, tribe of Christians from Najran, they had come to visit the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And they became agitated uh, while they were meeting the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and the Holy Prophet peace be upon him inquired as to why they were worried or what was the matter and they said that it was time for their prayer and very graciously the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he offered his own mosque so those people could offer their prayers there uh, so this narration is a very very beautiful narration we find that um you know, everyone is welcome to our mosques and anyone can come there and perform their own worship. There is no harm in it. Um, and also we find from the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that he showed love and kindness to all communities. One such uh, example is that once uh, there was a funeral which was passing by and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was sitting with his companion and immediately the Holy Prophet peace be upon him stood up out of respect and the companion said to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him that why do you stand up this is a funeral of a Jewish person and the Holy Prophet peace be upon him beautifully replies that was he not a human being so within that reply shows that how much love he had for everyone not just someone who belonged to a particular faith but for all human for all mankind and that is why he was given the title of Alameen, that a mercy for the whole of mankind on this particular topic um, I want to read a quote out of His Holiness Azamizam Suramit which he read which he mentioned at the which he this is an address from the inauguration of Bethel Afiat Mosque in Philadelphia, USA. And he said, and I quote, that it is a fact of life that human beings are such creatures who cannot survive without social interaction and without developing mutual relationship with other people. Irrespective of 
differences of race, religion, and social background, we are united as human beings. And so it is vital that we interact with other people. Rather than isolating ourselves or only mingling with members of our own particular community, in all respects, dialogue is crucial to breaking down barriers and increasing mutual understanding and knowledge. And for the advancement and evolution of society and to foster an atmosphere of peace and togetherness, respectful discourse and discussion between people and amongst different communities is vital. Furthermore, uh, we also read from the writings of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Uh, he has mentioned in his book, A Message of Peace. He writes that my, and I quote, my countrymen, a religion which does not inculcate a universal compassion is no religion at all. Similarly, a human being without the faculty of compassion is no human at all. Our God has never discriminated between one people and another. This is illustrated by the fact that all the potentials and capabilities which have been granted to the Aryas have also been granted to the races inhabiting the Arabia, Persia, Syria, China, Japan, Europe and America. The earth created by God provides a common floor for all people alike and his sun and moon and many stars are a source of radiance and provide many other benefits to all alike. Likewise, all people benefit from the elements created by him such as air, water, fire and earth and similarly from other products created by him such as grain, fruit and healing agents etc. And these attributes of God teach us the lesson that we too should behave magnanimously and kindly towards our fellow human beings and should not be pity of heart and illiberal so with that um, I'll hand the mic over to uh, brother Walid uh, we do I do believe we have a short clip for our listeners uh, to play um, so this clip is 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 also um, from his holiness Azamzam Suramit which he mentioned uh, in this from the Bethel Afiat Mosque, Philadelphia, USA, uh, an address from that. So it's just a short clip. So let's listen in. It is a fact of life that human beings are such creatures who cannot survive without social interaction and without developing mutual relations with other people. <clears throat> Irrespective of differences of race, religion, or social background, we are united as human beings. And so it is vital that we interact with other people. Rather than isolating ourselves or only mingling with members of our own particular community. <clears throat> In all respects, dialogue is crucial to breaking down barriers 
and increasing mutual understanding and knowledge. For the <clears throat> advancement and evolution of society and to foster an atmosphere of peace and togetherness, respectful discourse and discussion between people and amongst different communities is vital. Right, so that was an extract from an address by His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed. Uh, that is very much relevant to what we've been discussing about this Abrahamic family house uh, that uh, is being built uh, and uh, the spirit in which uh, that construction, uh, we are told, is uh, being being made. Um, now, this clip also brings us to the conclusion of uh, this uh, broadcast and it is time that, uh, or it is that time where we express our appreciation for those people who have been involved in the background in the production of this uh, program. So let's uh, remember our producer, Nergis Nasser, who is worthy of our gratitude, as is her researchers. Uh, her researchers are Hannah Ahmed, Neha Latif, and Aman Mir. Must not forget our engineer, uh, Bibring away in the technical room, making sure that as far as the technical side of this uh, of this broadcast is concerned, that that proceeded um, uh, smoothly. So that's Akib Ahmed Adlan. Thank you to him for his uh, effort and his valuable contribution to make sure that everything ran smoothly. Uh, and we mustn't forget uh, the experts that uh, gave you know, further understanding to the issues we were discussing. Uh, there was Professor uh, Mayek uh, Henneberg, a very uh, academic individual, a senior uh, academic uh, in many respects, professor of anthropological and comparative anatomy at the University of Adelaide. Uh, so we had a good, uh, lively conversation with him about uh, the issue uh, regarding pork. And we also spoke uh, earlier to Alma Mati, shared that particular uh, uh, clip uh, with uh, our listeners. And uh, we also had a few clips uh, of, uh, from our own archives regarding the uh, subjects that we were discussing. So now the uh, 9 o'clock uh, news beckons so uh, do join us again from 7 to 9 on The Breakfast Show, Monday to Friday. Until then, it's Islam Alaikum from myself and from Imam Toki Tanweer. And uh, here in a few seconds uh, is the 9 o'clock news. Assalamu Alaikum to you all.